When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, good evening, and welcome to your Forbidden Door edition of the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, the content machine, Liam Crowley, and I'm joined alongside by my go-to tag partner on these after shows, New York City's Demon Diva, Issa. Issa, it's always a pleasure to share these mics with you. So excited to talk some Forbidden Door with you. It's going to be a fun one. Especially because we were kind of on the fence about it on Wednesday, so I'm excited to run it back with you and see where we're at now. Yeah, and I feel like this is one we've been building to because we chatted on Wednesday after Dynamite about how we didn't feel too strongly about the go-home show. But also, we've been talking Forbidden Door on past Wrestling Inc. podcasts as well. So here we are kind of at that last act. The show has arrived, and we're going to dive into it starting right away with the pre-show, the buy-in. There were four matches on the buy-in card. And Issa, I saw your tweet. You were asking if this was a taping of Dark that they decided to just broadcast live. What's going on here? To be fair, I did appreciate the fact that they were trying to showcase a lot more New Japan guys because a lot of the big names being unable to compete on this card, like your Tetsuya Naitos, for example, getting the chance to get some dojo guys, some TV time as well, I thought was appreciated, but I kind of want to clump all four of these matches in together because the main card is going to take us so long to get through. So just a general question to you off the top. How did you feel about the buy-in as a whole? So I liked, I enjoyed the buy-in. I thought it was very action-packed. However, if you're going to add a match at the very last minute, because the Lance Archer match was not advertised, I really wish it would have been a women's match. I just thought we could have used another women's match, and that was a perfect opportunity to just add another women's match onto the card. But outside of that, yeah, it was it was a fun buy-in. Very, very full of action, and, and it was like jam-packed. Like it, it really hyped you up for the show. I completely agree, and I do think it would have been nice to get another women's match uh, showcased on there, especially since you have TBS champion Jade Cargill on such a dominant run right now, giving her a little bit more screen time, more momentum in her corner, I think would have been great. But overall, I had a good time with the buy-in for what it was. The crowd was hot. You could tell Chicago was full of diehard fans throughout this broadcast. My highlight will probably go to Max Caster's uh, rap to open things out. It wasn't one of his most memorable, but anytime he's on the mics, I just love it so, so much. He always gets a great reaction, especially on a show like this, where so many guys that are getting monster pops are Kazuchika Okada's, are Jay White's, are Adam Cole's and everything. Guys that have such a built-in indie fan foundation. Having a guy like Max Caster, who has been built up through AEW, essentially, having such a strong reaction, I appreciated, appreciated that so, so much. Me too, and I have really been enjoying the acclaim with the Gun Club. I They have grown on me so much that I, I love seeing them. I love seeing the reaction, and they put on a great match. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's get into the main card, though, because we have plenty of matches to get through. We'll kick things off with Minoru Suzuki and the Jericho Appreciation Society, the collective team of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, defeating Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Willer Yuta by pinfall this was my first exposure to Shota Umino I'd seen him in some backstage segments with John Moxley and New Japan before this was my first time seeing him in the ring and I really appreciated at the beginning when guys were making their entrance they showed that flashback 
to when his father was attacked by Jericho. And I was like, I love that. There's some built-in animosity between members of this match. How do we feel about this six-man tag to get us started? I love the flashback, by the way, because in case you're not familiar or you didn't know, it makes you kind of like get familiar with them. I love this match. What an opening to the show. And it never slowed down from there, which is what I really enjoyed about it. Every match just kept getting better and better. And as I'm watching the show, I'm thinking, oh, this is my favorite match. And then the next match is up and I'm like, this is my favorite match. But for an opener, it delivered. I thought the ending was a little predictable with blood and guts coming up. And we'll get into the ending too. I feel like this blood and guts match kind of like interfere a lot in how the booking went tonight. But overall, what a fun match. Also, my first time um, getting familiar with Mr. 334, inside joke for people to watch my channel in case, you know, in case <laughs> I was doing a watch along and I'm Googling some of the people that I'm not familiar with. I thought he was incredible. I felt bad that he ended up getting a fireball to the face later on onto the show, but you get what you deserve, you know? That's fair. That's fair enough. I, I will say too, this was a match that I thought I was confused at, at the result, to be honest, having the heel team win to open up the main card. But then I realized quickly after when they mentioned it on commentary, oh, this means the Jericho Appreciation Society has the advantage for blood and guts. And with that in mind, I think the result was a lot more predictable because I kind of anticipate blood and guts being the closing chapter of this feud right now between the Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, Santana Ortiz and the JAS, and usually when the baby faces win a big, you know, multi-man tag match like that, the heels go in with some sort of advantage. So the result, a little more predictable in hindsight. I'm glad I didn't think of that beforehand because I had a great time with this match going back and forth as to who was going to come out on top. A really hot start uh, to this pay-per-view. And also, too, I, I had a note here, the match went for 19 minutes, which surprised me because when we looked down yeah. our card, only one other match like kind of flirted with that in terms of length, that being Jay White defeating uh, Hangman Okada and Adam Cole in the IWGP World Heavyweight title match. A lot of the matches felt super long. I think that's just because they had a lot going in on them. Yeah, I I didn't... I, I felt the pay-per-view flew by and I was like trying to compare it with my watching experience with Double or Nothing. And Double or Nothing had a lot of down points for me it didn't feel that way with this pay-per-view I did think the booking of the length of the matches was perfect because the pay-per-view never felt like it was dragging at any point and even this match going on for th that long if you would have not pointed out the time to me I would have not been able to try to get us guess like take a wild guess at how long it went on for because it was just so action-packed I was trying to figure out what was happening and I was doing a watch along and trying to tell people what was happening and I couldn't keep up with all of the actions everybody looked great in this match I completely agree. Multi-man matches were kind of the story of this pay-per-view as a whole. Yeah. We move on to our next match on the main card. That being the tag match for all the gold, the IWGP heavyweight <sighs> tag titles were on the line, as well as the Ring of Honor tag titles. And that saw FTR come out on top, defeating the United Empire, who were represented by Great Okan and Jeff Cobb, as well as Rapongi Vice, the tag team of Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta. A big scare early on in this match with Dax Harwood going to the back, having his shoulder taped up eventually making a valiant effort to get back in this match, resulting in an FTR victory. Issa, I don't know about you, but I love when companies, wrestling companies, capitalize on momentum and go all in on guys that are super over. FTR getting the victory, I think, was the only outcome that could have came out of this match. And we talk about belt collectors with Kenny Omega. FTR low-key becoming the tag belt collectors of the wrestling world right now. 
incredible. FDR is so over right now. There is no way you can kill this momentum. But the best part about this match is that everyone looked incredible. Even the team that in the past I might have said that I didn't feel they belonged there talking about Trent Barretta and Rocky Romero. I, I didn't know what they were doing in this match. They looked absolutely badass tonight. I thought everybody shined so well. The United Empire I wasn't too familiar with and I was all in by the end of this match. If I'm going to nitpick, I'm going to say the injury took me out of the match slightly for a little bit because they played it so well that I really think something was wrong with Harwood. And I was like, is he going to be okay? So at that point, I'm so concerned trying to figure out is he, if he's really injured and if Wheeler is going to have to wrestle this on his own because in my brain, there's no other solution. But if they are winning, um, when he came back, they did it perfectly just because of everything going on with the injuries right now. I did think there was a lot of plays on injury factors tonight that I didn't need just just maybe I'm overthinking like I said but there's just so many injuries hurting AEW right now that I didn't want to see any injury angles but I thought they played this well and it added to the drama of the match what a moment for FDR and if they're not in the conversation for greatest tacting of all times you know in the list I don't I don't know what people are watching honestly yeah, I completely hear you, and I agree on all fronts. I, I do recognize that the injury angles that were going on tonight, some of them fictitious, some of them looking kind of legitimate. A lot of guys suffering stingers tonight that we don't know if they're going to require surgery or whatnot, and we'll get to those when they come along. But this was a match for sure that I thought capitalized on that kind of stuff. We talked about the woes of Wardlow versus MJF at Double or Nothing and how it kind of took away from Wardlow's moment that all the rumors were going around about MJF at the time here. I think that I see what you're saying about being taken out of the match momentarily. As soon as Harwood came back out, though, it was such a big relief. It was such a great moment. And eventually using that momentum to his advantage to get the pinfall victory, the bigger it kind of came out of nowhere. And the yeah. pop that they got when they got the one, two, three, insurmountable. It's a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment for FTR. And for them doing the injury angle, I did think they played it well when they had Dax came back because it didn't take so long for him to come back, which was great because then you don't have to focus on, you know, is it going to be okay? They didn't do it for too long to where it completely takes you out. Like you said, as soon as he came back, I was right in and, you know, expecting the finish, which was FTR winning. I'm so happy for them. And I really do think this is going to help New Japan as well with them being the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Absolutely. Having that crossover potential, having guys on the roster that have an excuse to go over to New Japan and not just feel like they have to be there to showcase them because of the relationship, I think is a good thing overall. And Isa, I want to ask you a question based on where we go from here. Excalibur and Taz both mentioned on commentary after the fact, Do does FTR want to potentially add the AEW World Tag Titles to their belt collection? And I'm glad they acknowledge this because for so long, because of how many different titles are now in AEW, how many times we see New Japan and Ring of Honor titles on the roster, it makes you wonder, where does the value of these titles lie? Is the Ring of Honor television championship more prestigious than the TNT title? Do they flip-flop each and every week? With FTR holding the Ring of Honor tag titles, even though they weren't the AEW tag champions, for some times, they felt like a bigger deal than Jurassic Express. Now that the Young Bucks have the titles, them being just a more established name and guys who held the titles for so long before. I think they are back on similar levels. But now the fact that they're acknowledging this on TV and not, you know, as we both kind of have discrepancies when you 
work your way around the ranking system and make excuses as to why guys aren't getting title shots. It does seem like we're building to Young Bucks versus FTR three, possibly at all out. And maybe FTR finally avenges that loss from full gear a couple years ago. How would you feel about Young Bucks FTR at all out? And a follow-up question to that. Is it big enough to main event that show? Uh, it could be. It could be, depending on how we build it, right? We found out tonight that All Out is going to be in Chicago on September 4. We have plenty of time to let it marinate and build it the right way. I do want FTR to retain both of these belts. I, if, if this is what's going to happen, I want to see them lift all of the gold up because I think it's going to be such a moment for them. But with the Young Bucks just becoming the tag champs, I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time before we see this match starting to be set up. But it makes perfect sense regardless of the rankings like everybody should be asking why is an FDR you know number one contenders why are they not getting you know the shot of the tag titles I, I I do think it could main event all out I think it's it's a matter of where we stand with these injuries right because I do think if CM Punk is ready to go by all out having unifying the AW world champion will probably seem like a bigger deal and will main event but if you don't have CM Punk ready to go the tag team division in AW is just absolutely incredible and I honestly believe they could main event any pay-per-view yeah it does feel like we're overdue for a tag title yeah. main event of a pay-per-view especially because this is something the young bucks were talking about way back when AEW launched at the press conferences and the pool party they had in vegas and everything that tag wrestling can be seen as the main event i think it might be time to put your money where your mouth is especially when you could have a feud as hot as ftr young bucks they're a tag team they're a, a group of guys that no matter when they're in the ring together whether it be for a promo whether it be for a match or whether it just be for a stare down they're always going to create magic and i think like you said with the proper build it could warrant yeah. getting that main event i do want to highlight a super chat our first of the night from robert martinez he says that this pay-per-view made aew feel like a sport loved it i completely agree this was the most sports feel aew pay-per-view yet because of all the guys coming in from new japan where yeah. wrestling is so emphasized as a sport. Issa, where do you kind of stand on, on pro wrestling when it comes to the balance of the theatrics versus the sports field? How do you kind of like your split? I like I like both aspects of pro wrestling. I'm a big person when it comes to the stories and the drama. I always when people ask me what is pro wrestling, I call it, it's like a soap opera that ends with people punching each other. That's what I love about it, right? So I do need to see some storylines going into it. I personally felt like people came out there today with a chip on their shoulders to prove for the people that say this car was weak, this pay-per-view wasn't what we wanted to see. I felt like this roster, both New Japan's and AEW's roster, came out to prove a point that even with half of the roster being out, they were going to give us our money worth and boy did they deliver i spoke a lot of i was uncertain about a lot of matches and they completely proved me wrong and we'll get into them as we go on but yeah i thought tonight was probably a very very perfectly booked show from top to bottom we have a, a comment here that i want to address real quick hey liam random dumb question but since you're a fellow bostonian as, as i am are you related to an aaron crowley and bobby crowley neither that i know of I have a big family lineage uh, dating back to, to Ireland from my father's side. So maybe perhaps second or third cousin, but not that I know of. Our next Super Chat, we have a couple here. Here from Sheed Black saying, it was a great pay-per-view. Was hesitant at first, had plenty of lemon drop martinis tonight. Well, you know, that's a long pay-per-view, but Join they the did. I feel like, you know, the hesitancy was felt not just by 
us on the podcast, not just by fans on social media. But honestly, I kind of felt like there was hesitancy within the roster. I don't know of that whatsoever. But you kind of felt like for sometimes on Dynamites and Rampage that this was more of an obstacle to get to rather than right. you know what they actually wanted to to go out and perform on tonight. I felt like all of that was thrown to the wayside. This felt like this had the energy that all in had way back in 2018 where, you know, yeah. when all in came around, I wasn't really paying attention to the build on ring of honor and NWA and the random builds they do on new Japan right. television. I just kind of tuned in hoping to see some great wrestling. And that's kind of what we got tonight. It was great. It was great. I agree with everything you just said. And Sheed Black with another super chat as well, seeing the Chicago crowd was lit. A hot crowd can make or break a show. And tonight, yep. I felt like they absolutely delivered. We move on with this card. Our fatal four-way match. I don't want to talk Alondro about this with AEW. you. I don't want to talk about this with you. Sorry. <laughs> All-Atlantic Championship. Isa, we said it on Wednesday on the podcast. We were debating who was going to walk away with the victory and you were riding with Miro and I was saying it was going to be Pac because he hasn't had his crowning moment yet and I did I did some thinking over the past couple of days I kind of got in my head I was like man did I really make a mistake here because Issa once said when I was like it's going to be Ruby Soho she needs her moment and Issa said well no Britt Baker she's the money attraction they're going to double down on her success she's going to win the Owen Hart tournament and then she did so it's kind of in my head but I was riding with Pac and lo and behold, Pac came out with the victory, the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic champion. Issa, how are we feeling? Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm wrong once a year. You can call me out on it. Okay, this is it. This is the only mistake we make all year long. Um, Clark Connors, I think his name is, not familiar with the Young Lion at all i was very impressed by his performance especially going against such established stars as malachi black um mural and pack i i was watching the match and when it happened i thought of your words thinking you know what pack has been here since day one they haven't done anything with him if somebody not deserved but earned this title win is pack this this match was a lot of fun i really think that that mira could be in a tnt title picture mira could be in a aw interim world title field with max i think that would be a lot of fun it's just how do you get him there same with malachi black i'm a little just worried about the way that they have booked him but obviously if we look at the booking of pack up till tonight he really hadn't gotten a big win and he didn't take away from it like everybody in that ring felt like a credible contender for this title tonight i'm very happy for pack at day one ish <laughs> getting that title win it just felt like justice yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I was happy to see him get that crowning moment because up until then, he was a guy who his most accomplishable thing in AEW was being in the double or nothing AEW world title match. And that was more built around Kenny Omega and Orange Cassidy. They had the bigger spots in that match. Pac obviously laid claim to the fact that he had beat Omega at All Out back in 2019. But still, he he didn't have that crowning championship victory and I was thinking back throughout this match and after he had won, this is the guy that they originally built the black and gold NXT around. Like this is a guy that a lot of companies in the past have been very invested in. This is a guy who might have walked out with the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 32 if he didn't yeah. get hurt and Zack Ryder replaced him. So there's clearly, you know, stock in pack. And I think it's just been a long time coming 
for a company to cash in on that. And I thought tonight was that moment. And I'm really happy for him. What this championship means in the future of AEW, who really knows? A lot of people saying, you know, is it really necessary? Do we need another mid-card title? On paper, I say absolutely not. There's too many championships already. But any title with the right champion makes sense. And I have an optimistic perspective on PAC leading this All-Atlantic division. Refresh my memory. Who took the pin here? Do you remember? I believe it was Clark Connors. If I'm okay, not perfect. Because that was my main concern. Like I, I, re- I think it was Clark Connors as well. So the, if you don't book Malachi or Miro to take the pin, they still remain strong, you know. And Clark Connors taking the pin while looking so strong in this match. I, I thought everybody got a chance to shine. I liked how they used Malachi Black little. Um, Black spritzel into Miro to take him out because at some point in this match, Miro was the clear contender to win. So it was a very smart way to completely take him out. Fun match overall, good for Pac. And real quick, uh, Connors was the one defeated. He submitted, though. He got locked into the Brutalizer and submitted right away. I thought that was a great uh, choice as well. It was like such a... It was such an action-packed finish because I remember Miro had him in the submission and then he got uh, missed it on and then Pac came in. Like, it was, there was a lot of action-packed. There was a couple of finishes that I was like, well, that came out of nowhere. This one felt like it was so much going on that it took me a second to remember how it ended. And it was so long ago. There was so much good wrestling after it. It's easy to forget. Yeah, and also, too, I felt like a lot of guys got their shine in this match. Every guy got their shine. Miro being taken out by the table spot just to come back in and still wreak havoc. That really established him as the big threat. Malachi Black, at certain moments, I thought he was going to walk away with the title. At one point when he hit the Black Mass, I thought it was over. And even Clark Connors, I never really bought into the fact that he would walk away with this championship, especially since he was a late replacement. But there's nothing I love more than when a guy naturally gets over over the course of a match. Right. And when he first made his entrance, it was kind of an awkward by comparison because there was nothing. There was not even, there was no pop. There was no cheers. It's like, okay, here's Clark Connors. And then hearing let's go Clark at certain points of this match and it actually yeah. building up made me smile. Yeah, there had to be a lot of pressure on him. A lot of people did want to see Ichi in this match, and he wasn't able to make it. So he has some big shoes to fill here. There was a, a moment in the match in which Miro took a bump to the head on, like against the turnbuckle, like the pose. That looked brutal. I didn't think he was coming back from that. So listen, I, I think I loved every match tonight. This is going to be a very positive review. <laughs> Nathan Banks also bringing up, don't forget the Cruiserweight Championship from Austin Aries at WrestleMania 31, if I'm correct as well. I believe that was 33. 33 in in Orlando. I was there. Yeah, he won it on the pre-show. There we go. Yeah, and that, again, you know, a big showcase for him. They built the Cruiserweight division around him for about a year. They they really reestablished what the Cruiserweights were with Pac in the lead right there when back when he was Neville, of course. But still, I, I have faith. And I have optimism about Pac leading this all-Atlantic division. Kevin Valentine sending in a $2 super chat. Thank you so much, Kevin. We move on with this pay-per-view. We got dudes with attitudes, Darby Allen, Sting, and Shingo Takagi. They defeated the Bullet Club of El Fantasmo, Matt, and Nick Jackson, AEW Tag Champions, the Young Bucks, by pinfall. This was really cool for me at first to see the entrance of the Bucks back in the Bullet Club because 
That yeah. was kind of when I first started branching out beyond just WWE was when I started watching Impact Wrestling every now and then. And I heard about these guys called the Young Bucks who were taking Bullet Club by storm. You know, They were in Ring of Honor. They were in New Japan. And seeing them back in that gear and hearing the theme again, pretty nostalgic. Question I want to ask you off the top. What the hell, Sting? Jesus, this man is 63 years old. And I remember when he first had his first match with AEW and it was the cinematic match. And we were like, okay, that's cool. We'll maybe get a one match a year from Sting and it'll be disguised with with cinematic camera angles. No, this dude's straight up wrestling, death-defying stunts at 63 years old. Does it still take you by surprise? It does. I think he, he I think he's illuminati or something like he's gotta be doing something here to like be able to still go they played me with his entrance though i thought it was gonna come out from like the rafters and then he was like right there i loved i love how he played them with the entrance i love how full of action this match was darby allen speaking of death defying stunts darby allen just never ceases to make me go stop (laughs) you're gonna get hurt and i don't even understand how he doesn't get hurt sting is definitely found a fountain of youth and i love seeing the young bucks with the bullet club i thought i thought this whole thing was a lot of fun um but I really, really thought we were going to see Sting just come down from there, which I'm probably asking for too much. You just said this man is 60-something years old, but <laughs> they, they play me. They play me with that interest. <laughs> I will say real quick, I want to give an acknowledgement to, to the Tornado, Anthony. Why? Because I know things get a little dicey here if we don't acknowledge the Tornado. So the threat a- level goes up if you don't acknowledge Liam. Of course. A quick acknowledgement to Tornado. Thank you so much for <laughs> hopping in the stream tonight. But yeah, I agree. I do think that it would have been cool to see that entrance. And I'm sure he will bust it out eventually during his time with AEW. But still, this was a fun match. To me, though, where if I'm going to have any complaints about not just this match, but the show as a whole, so many of these big multi-man tag matches felt the same. And I don't know how you differentiate between multi-man tag matches because of the hot spots and guys that are involved. But this felt yeah. not too different from the match that we opened with, with the Jericho Because crew. they, I, I like the pacing of it. Sorry to interrupt you. But if you notice, they booked a lot of multi-man matches back to back to back and a lot of one-on-one matches back to back to back. And I feel like if maybe we would have gone back and forth between some multi-man and a one-on-one, maybe they would have felt differently. But yes, to your point, it did feel like we just watched three matches while everybody shined. It was multi-man and, and we're seeing the same thing. So it could have it could have paced just slightly different with the one-on-ones and the multi-man matches. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that that was something that they were going to run into regardless. And that's why it made it feel more like an all-in type show. This didn't feel like a pay-per-view that was built to with big consequences. It felt more like a showcase pay-per-view. Here's guys you're not too familiar with from New Japan. Here's guys you might not be familiar with because they're not on AEW television all the time. And here are our main stars all clashing in this big kind of crossover event. Kind of felt inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, aside from obviously our interim world title match that we'll get to later in the show. But still, uh, for what this pay-per-view was setting out to do, at least towards the end of it, when you started to appreciate what it was going for, rather than what it could have been if injuries weren't a thing, I think it definitely hit it out of the park. Sheed Black sending in our biggest super chat of the night. Thank you so much, Sheed. Uh, I'm just I'm up just for this podcast, drinking a Paloma now, Patron, Lime, lime juice and squirt soda this pay-per-view took me to wrestling in the 90s great day for wrestling i completely agree uh we we were talking about earlier about how this pay-per-view felt more like a sports show than a sports entertainment show 
And, you know, the This Is Wrestling chants came along uh, at some points during the show. I know a lot of people kind of wince at those. But still, this did felt this did feel like a very This Is Wrestling show. And that was a nice change of pace to what you're, what you're used to. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was a great day for wrestling. And if you think about it, it introduced us to so many people, even skepticals like me who went into the pay-per-view not knowing what to expect. I was fully invested. Every match won me over within a minute of the bell ringing. It was fun. It felt like sports. It was just, it didn't feel like we were watching wrestling for four hours. Well, if you count the pre-show, almost five hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And we talked about the pacing of this show, about how some matches were kind of clumped together and some matches felt similar because they went on back to back. Issa, something we always talk about on these wrestling podcasts, especially with AEW shows, is the placement of the women's segments, whether that be 930. A, a background, <laughs> a, a backstage thing or, or a match itself. We had Thunder Rosa defeating Tony Storm by pinfall. I didn't pick up the time exactly as to when this happened. But it oh, it was at 9.30, even on pay-per-view. It was even on pay-per-view. So, but <laughs> my question to you now, on top of that, 9.30 is kind of like you've said, the, the witching hour uh, of AEW television, but that's blocked out from 8 to 10. So where, does 9.30 still fall in that kind of weird gray zone when a pay-per-view goes from 8 to 11.45? I didn't like the spot in where they put them. I thought they could have put them a little bit closer towards the end of the show but it wasn't it wasn't a bad spot either if i'm if i'm being fair with you you know they were just in the middle of the show in there somewhere and that's why i was telling you some of the one-on-one matches could have gone in between some of the multi-man matches like you could have put this match second on the card for example you know and, and divide those two multi-man matches that we got back to back on the beginning of the show regardless um let's talk about the match because i thought they did an excellent job yeah, completely agree. I thought this match was a big highlight in this show, not just for the fact that it was one of the rare singles matches on this show. I believe we had the main event, we had Claudio's match, this match, and the Will Ospreay match. For, for a show that had 13 matches, this being one of only four pure singles title singles matches, especially a title match too, I thought gave it some extra stakes and allowed it to feel different than all the multi-man matches we were seeing. And I thought these ladies tore the house down. I was kind of surprised at the outcome too, because Tony Storm, I thought, has had a lot of momentum behind her. And I think I expressed this to you before as well. I was kind of concerned because she feels right now, at least after this result too, that she's in the same spot that Ruby Soho was in after AEW Grand Slam. You know, former WWE star coming in with all the momentum in the world, getting all these victories, getting crazy loud pops, super over with the crowd. But then they're hot shotted to an AEW Women's World title match. They lose that. What happens next? What's next for Tony Storm? I don't know what's next for Tony Storm, but I can tell you, you can't end Thunder Rosa's reign like this this match and i shared this with you on wednesday felt like a match that they put in there just to have a women's match on the card this wasn't a real feud thunder rosa hasn't had a feud properly built to sick her teeth into as aw women's world champion i feel bad for tony storm because she did have some momentum and i do think they could have given thunder rosa somebody else but i i i did think they with the time that they were given because this was a very short match. I wish they would have given them a little more time, but with the time that they were given, I thought that this match 
was great. I really think they were going at it. Some of their moves, I, I thought they were breaking each other. I think there was a hip attack from Tony Storm onto the corner onto Thunder Rosa. That mm-hmm. hurt me just watching it. And when Thunder Rosa got the pin, I, I, I thought she dropped it on her neck the way that they made it look. And I, you could see she was fully protecting her, but it just looks so brutal that I absolutely love this. I love Thunder Rosa's presentation. When she comes out on pay-per-views, she looks like the champion. Now I wish they would book her that way in every like in every week, every show. They don't book her that way. But when she shows up at the pay-per-views, you look at her and you go, okay, that's the champ, which I appreciate that. Yeah, she definitely looks like a star, especially with the way the slight alteration she makes to the face paint for pay-per-views. It's not much, but yes. this one had a little bit more detail in it. The the skull. This was my favorite me. face paint of hers. Yeah. Yeah, because it had like it, the usually it's like the the mask, like the mariachi type mask. But yeah. This one was more of a skull, and you saw like the the shadows and everything. It looked a lot yeah. more like three dimensional which I thought was super cool. Sheed Black sending in another super chat. Thank you so much, Sheed. Good match, but Thunder Rosa's reign is terrible. I, well, you know, as much as I want to root for Thunder Rosa, and I do think she shows up for pay-per-views, I just think AEW might have an issue with booking babyface champions, babyface world champions, at least, because John Moxley's reign was great, but Hangman Adam Page's kind of was start-stop yeah. momentum for a little bit because... John Moxley, too, when he was babyface world champion, and obviously he's about to start a new reign after tonight's show, he kind of towed the line between being not just a happy-go-lucky, cheery guy, he was more brutal and not a full-on heel. Right. He had heel tendencies. Thunder Rosa, it's not that she's a full-on cheer-me babyface, but there's just something missing right now. And I, I don't know what it yeah. is, and it's so hard to pinpoint it, but what does Thunder Rosa need to do in this women's world title reign to make people want her to keep the belt? Because I felt like a lot of people on social media tonight were kind of hoping for a Tony Storm victory, not necessarily because they wanted Tony Storm to win, but they just wanted something different from the women's division. I personally didn't and it's not that I'm not rooting for Tony Storm I just didn't think it's her time yet I agree with the super chat I think Thunder Rosa needs a a, a feud something significant where you go like oh my god that's the moment that you knew she was a champ and you mentioned Adam Page I I agree with you it feels that way right the matches are bangers but the character work on TV is is not it's not delivering right now I wish Thunder Rosa would maybe dig into the real life stuff going on where people questioning her reign, questioning what's going on, you know, the TV time. I wish you would come out and cut a promo speaking about that, saying, hey, I'm delivering bangers on pay-per-views. People don't still think I should be the champion. You know, I'm fighting for TV time here. Like, I wish Thunder Rosa would just come out and maybe involve a little bit of more real life stuff into her story because that seems to really, really work in AEW. Yeah, Unless you're in JF, because if you're in JF, <laughs> you're nowhere to be found now, but... This is true, and I'm sure we're going to get to it before the end of the show. Um, That's the thing, though. Like, when it comes to real-life storylines, like, not even a storyline, real-life animosity. Like, Thunder Rosa has been the center of attention on wrestling news cycles for years, Uh, not just on a weekly basis, but big stories come out revolving her every couple of months, both positive and negative. A lot of people will point to the sandbagging accusations recently as a negative. One positive I'll point to in the past couple of years is the fact that she was signed to the NWA and AEW bought out the rest of her contract so she could be in the promotion. That is such a, like, there is so much potential there to latch that onto your character. And, you know, you talk about all the issues of the limited screen time the women are getting, especially Thunder Rosa, the center of the division, have her cut a promo about 
mentioning the fact I was so desired once upon a time that they yeah. bought out my contract to get me here. And now I'm here, I'm at the top of the mountain and it's like, they don't even care. Obviously you want to limit the amount of disgruntled characters with management going on within your promotion, because I don't want it to water down the MJF storyline, but there's a way that you can have it be unique with Thunder Rosa to emphasize the fact that like, you know, no, like I'm putting my foot down. I'm a desire competitor. I want AEW to invest in me as much as I've invested in AEW. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think that will be absolutely fantastic of hers. I mean, I remember the lights out match, the, the first main event for the women in Dynamite and just how badass that match was. And Thunder Rosa did win that match, even though it doesn't count. But from that moment, we all wanted to see Britt Baker against Thunder Rosa. And they did such a good job at, at playing it out, you know, long-term booking. And I remember we wanted Thunder Rosa to win the title. So why is people wanting her to drop the title now? I, maybe maybe a heel turn would be, you know, something that she could do right now. Um, I, I don't know how she would play out as a heel, but We'll see where it goes. I just don't think that in a match that had literally no feud and it was just kind of put in a card just to say we have some women on the card, it's not the right way for her reign to end. It needs to end significantly. Mm -hmm. Still big praise from Phil Capel saying, I think this was Rose's best AEW match and possibly the best women's match ever was... in AEW. I don't know how I feel about that, but this would definitely make some top 10 lists, I think. I was actually trying to think, and I might have to go back and rewatch them because I was I love her match with Serena Deeps. I might have to watch them back to back and see which one I enjoy more because I think tonight stood toe to toe with her match with Serena Deeps at Double or Nothing. Mm -hmm. And Sheed Black sending in another super chat. Thank you so much. I see now why Vince likes the baby faces chasing. The chase is always better than the destination. You know, it, it makes it more fun. And the moments, the crowning achievement is always great. But having a worthwhile title reign afterwards is always the biggest hurdle to overcome. So hopefully they can overcome that with Thunder Rosa moving forward. We go on now to another singles match, kind of one of our biggest cross-promotional matches when you compare everything else on the card being, you know, interim world title matches, multi-man tag matches with guys from both companies on either side. Will Ospreay, Orange Cassidy, the leader of the United Empire versus one of the best friends. And Will Ospreay, my guy, coming out on top. Isa, how do we feel about Will Ospreay's showcase match? I did tell you, I told you both, and you and Jimmy on Wednesday's podcast, that I feel like Osprey has some moves in his arsenal that he's only going to bust out for pay-per-view. And I thought we got a lot of premium moves from Osprey tonight. What a match. And I remember saying so many times, hey, AW did a decent job introducing us to Osprey. I didn't like him losing on television or, you know, I know he was with United Empire. There were tag matches, but I didn't like seeing him lose. And I remember when they set up the match with Orange Cassidy, I said it. I was like, that's not the match that I wanted. I take it all back. This match was everything. Osprey from the entrance, the presentation. Um, I thought Orange Cassidy looked absolutely incredible. There was a couple, the kickouts in this match mm -hmm. were just absolute insanity. There were so many false finishes that I thought either one of them were going to wing at this moment this this is probably and i see a super chat pointing that out orange cassidy's best match in aw and we've seen him wrestle a lot but there i don't know that anything's going to compare to this and i had to kind of like digest the pay-per-view but this might be my favorite match of the night these two men brought it to like a whole different level 
Mm-hmm. And Larry pointing out just the year that we're seeing from Will Ospreay. Obviously, you guys haven't seen Ospreay versus Nick Lane yet. W match of the year. I only saw some. I heard about it. I heard about on, it. I need to check I, it out. I saw some highlights on social media, and that yeah. was a crazy match. Uh, based on certain things that I did see, because it was like Osprey looking not in a mirror, but looking back in time. Because Wayne moves like Osprey yeah. used to move on the British indie scene, which was really cool. Robert Martinez uh, also sitting in the super chat saying commentary team switching it up was great for pay per view. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I have to say my and, and I'm sorry to point it out, but I would I I am one to take it back when I say something about someone. My doubts on this match were not on Osprey. I knew Osprey was gonna come in and deliver. I wanted someone that was going to deliver right back with him. And I didn't know that Orange Cassidy was going to be capable of doing that. So, you know, to to Larry's point, I always thought that Osprey was going to put on an incredible match. I didn't expect what we saw tonight from Orange Cassidy. I, I haven't really been the biggest Orange Cassidy fan. And props to him for winning. Not only me, I, I'm pretty sure he won a lot of people over. Orange Cassidy looked incredible. Osprey as well. This match... It was a banger. It slapped. It was incredible. The yeah, false finishes. I, I, I can't get over the false finishes in this match. I can't. The false finishes definitely kept me on my toes. One thing I, I will say, too, is while on paper, I think that there are hotter matches for Will Ospreay. We remember the rumors or Andrade saying verbatim that he was going to get Ospreay at this show, if not for the CMLL, AAA involvement and all that. But I will say, after watching this match, Osprey and Orange Cassidy are just good dance partners. Like when we talk about wrestling as like the choreography behind it and guys who work well together, I thought Osprey, especially as a guy who's put on significant size since he first started, you know, popping up in the British indie scene, being able to do the, these high flying moves while also being able to show off his strength. He can't be wrestling against like a super heavyweight on the AEW roster to blend those perfectly. Having a guy who can do the tilt to whirls and the Hurricane Ranas on him, as well as him dishing out that offense to his opponent. I thought Orange Cassidy was that perfect opponent for him because someone like Orange Cassidy, you know, his character is so emphasized on the sloth style, the working slow. But when he turns it on, he really, really turns it on. He is as big of a high flyer as anybody on the AEW roster. And I thought his, you know, blend of style was actually very similar to Will Ospreay's, which made for Magic in the Ring. Yeah, I wish he had a character that was, I don't know, I, I don't like his character, but in the ring tonight, he proved a lot of things that I had said wrong in regards to this match and how this is not what I wanted to see Osprey in. Like you said, on paper, there were better matches, and I mentioned it earlier. It felt like a lot of people came out with a chip on their shoulders to prove a point this match felt that way, and they they tore the house down. Kevin Valentine sending in Osprey is awesome. He's the new AJ Styles. A question I want to ask you, Kevin, because I don't want to accuse you of not watching Will Osprey matches beforehand, but I'm curious if this was your first exposure to a guy like Will Osprey or to other people on the New Japan roster. If if this was Kevin's first time watching Will Osprey, like a full bell to bell match, and that's your reaction to it. That's the best thing you can hope for for this Forbidden Door pay-per-view because it goes both ways. You know, there are probably guys who are watching, you know, who are fans of New Japan who aren't as familiar with AEW and they see a guy like Adam Cole who had very limited matches in New Japan or they see a guy like Hangman Adam Page who didn't do too much in the main event scene of New Japan 
getting these big showcase opportunities. And then it's like, oh man, there's a guy I want to follow. All of a sudden you've made a new fan. So for American audiences that aren't familiar with the Will Ospreys, Hiroshi Tanahashi's of the world, making new fans tonight, I think is the biggest plus for this show. Yeah, I was actually doing a watch along on my channel, as I mentioned earlier. And I, I remember seeing a lot of people that was their first time seeing Okada live, for example. And and I loved getting to see people's first reaction to watching a full live of him, you know, match of him live, you know, bell to bell. So I agree with you. I feel a lot of people made new fans tonight. Mm -hmm. Another super chat I want to highlight. It was a little further back but just because we have been kind of jumping around with different talking points kevin valentine again sending in uh, a super chat earlier while the lead up to this pay-per-view was not great they're definitely onto something that could be special with healthy rosters like a cross promotion survivor series this is something I, i completely feel very strongly about i think forbidden door could be a magical uh yearly annual pay-per-view if built appropriately if rosters are healthy and if it's placed at a good time because even though this was a good halfway point for AEW between double or nothing and all out well more of a one-third point because double or nothing was late may this was coming off two weeks after dominion this was not exactly the best spot for the new japan roster to completely shift gears and be a part of this show so i think there's a lot of factors that need to be fine-tuned moving forward but I do think Forbidden Door has very big potential going forward. Oh, yeah. Um, hear me out because I have been an advocate of this. With the proper build, let's say we have a year to build the next one. With AEW's full roster healthy, do it in Japan. It could sell out a stadium in Japan. If you really book it the right way, this could probably sell the Tokyo Dome. Like, look, they sell the Tokyo Dome with just a, just a new Japan pretty much roster. Imagine bringing one of these talented guys from AEW onto Japan. Like, I think it will be a fun uh, mix of things to see it the other way. Yeah, I completely agree. We talked about it on Wednesday as well, that this yeah. show, the concept of this show has potential to do stadiums on American soil. Still think we're a couple years away from that because obviously I think AEW needs to sell one of their own soul branded shows in a football stadium before they try and flirt with a Forbidden Door type show. But I think Forbidden Door in the Tokyo Dome as soon as next year could easily sell that out just because of the gravitas behind it. Obviously, other things have to go well. Healthy roster for one, better build for two. But Tokyo Dome, I think, is a realistic uh, opportunity. I think the best thing they're going to have to sell the next one is the words of mouth from this one. There was people that were still, you know, kind of like apprehensive about it. Some people didn't buy the pay-per-view, but you're going to hear the good reviews coming from people that were not sure about it. You're going to hear that they pull off such a great show with the roster hurt. So I do think that even if you do it in American soil next year, just based on the reviews without having your top players there, I think they'll, they'll do great next year as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to get to before we move on with this card was what happened after the bell. Uh, we did have a United Empire beatdown, which, you know, I feel like that's just been kind of the the reoccurring thing with United Empire. It, se- it seems to happen on every single time they're on AEW television. Eventually, Tremperetta and Rocky Romero came out to make the save. Then we got Shibata's music to hit. Got a big stare down between him and Osprey. They eventually brawled. It ended with him and Orange Cassidy. Kind of coming to terms as friends, him getting the sunglasses and everything. Isa, I don't know about you, but I was so frustrated with this moment because it was so clear from the get-go that it was going to end with the United Empire running to the back, pointing to the ring. Oh, we'll get you next time, blah, blah, blah. 
because it feels like that's how every segment with this faction has ended since they've been showcased on AEW television. And I want them to succeed so bad. And I understand they're a heel faction and the heel faction can't always win, nor should they. They are there to get other people over. But something just rubs me the wrong way about since they've been introduced, they feel like just kind of chicken s heels, you know? Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. And I, I share on Wednesday and, and even a little bit ago how I haven't been a fan of them losing, even if it's tag matches, I really haven't been a fan of, of them losing on TV. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. Also, I would assume that you had the hard course by the pay-per-view, so it's different to introduce someone in the pay-per-view than it is on TV, but they should have been a little bit of a build of a build-up for this debut because a lot of people didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I had only heard, you know, sparse things about Shibata. I had known the people had compared him to Orange Cassidy in terms of yeah. characters and stuff. And that moment clearly got a lot of people riled up on social media. But that was yeah, one but it was I one think. of the few moments in which I felt kind of lost. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, that that's something too with with this show. At least the build up to this show, as I mentioned, you know, the woes about the commentary listing off all these accomplishments at super rapid speed, and it's hard to keep up with that. This was something I felt like an outsider looking in, which is natural for a show like this. And I felt like I was keeping up with 95% of it. But especially considering at this point, we were, I believe it was either 1030 or 1040 around that time. And I knew we still had, what, three matches to go. Two of them easily going to an hour combined. It felt a little forced, this this whole moment and everything. And I just didn't like the fact that the United Empire ended up running. Yeah, and I didn't like the fact that you had um, Orange Cassidy kind of like get up and do the sunglasses. But it was great, but he just lost. He's not selling the loss. Like it just, it felt odd. There was a couple of things, and we'll get into the main event with the endings that I felt they were unnecessary, and this is one of them. Brian Kish bringing up that Osprey can fly solo. United Empire makes him look weak-ish. I... I don't know if I fully agree because I like him as the leader of a stable. I think it makes him look like a bigger deal upon an entrance. But then, you know, they end up fleeing the scene at the end of a beatdown and everything. And I agree. He does look weaker by comparison, especially at the end when Jeff Cobb and Great O'Conn pull his legs out from under the ropes. They're like, all right, now we're going to save you and bring you to the back. I don't like that look, but at the same time, I do like the idea on paper and with an entrance of this guy in this grandiose ring entrance jacket being flanked by a bunch of different people. Yeah, look, to Brian's point, if you are somebody like me who you're just becoming familiar with them, yeah, United Empire makes him look weak because that's how they've been booked on AEW TV. (laughs) I don't know how they are booked on New Japan, but based on what I'm seeing on AEW television, Yes, United Empire can make him look weak, but it's because that's what they're booking them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, a question that was brought up was, uh, what's the story with Juice Robinson? What's going on uh, with the IWGP United States title belt? Basically, this was something that they had a, tried to explain throughout segments on this show. Juice Robinson won the title on May 14th earlier this year, but had to vacate it. And then Will Ospreay ended up winning the vacant title, not by defeating Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson vacating it, now also being back with New Japan, joining Bullet Club. He's laying claim to the fact that he never lost the title, so therefore he can't be stripped of it per se. It's a little right. awkward and confusing, especially if you're. I like I like to thank you, Liam, for doing a better job of explaining this than AEW did. <laughs> 
because, because this guy shows up with the title backstage and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and that's, that's another thing that that's that's frustrating to me. Uh, Will Ospreay, by the way, he defeated Sonata for the vacant title uh, at Dominion just two weeks ago. Uh, this is different because I feel like most people who watched this show or bought this pay-per-view were people that were caught up with storylines and are aware of the diehard wrestling product. But for someone who's a casual fan and Will Ospreay comes out wearing a title belt and he's introduced as the IWGP United States uh, champion and he's wearing the Rev Pro title, that's just naturally confusing. And then you're saying, well, why are they saying he doesn't have possession of the title? I just saw him come out with one. There's too many factors that I'm like, I understand yeah. the storyline New Japan wants to build with Juice Robinson saying I'm the rightful champion, but why make it extra confusing? Yeah, I mean, even if you if you think about it, let's just say you're a, a complete AEW viewer and you do not watch New Japan at all. In our eyes, that title, Moxley had it, and then he went to Lance Archer, and then we don't know what happened to it, right? Mm. Because it's never been seen on AEW television again. So it was it was a little bit weird, the fact that we had no explanation, and he's just hanging out backstage with Jay White, and we're just like, wait, I thought this title, you know, it, it got very confusing. So I appreciate you actually explaining it to me. Juice Robinson looked great, though. Oh, he is money. I love I love the glasses. I love the hair. I love the sleeveless jacket he's got going on. I love when guys change their look to fit Bullet Club. Me too. And having him hanging out with Jay White, you know, obviously makes a big impression, especially what we see Jay White do later on on the show. Absolutely. Speaking of later on in the show with Jay White, the very next match is Jay White successfully defending his title against Hangman Adam Page, Kazuchika Okada, and Adam Cole. Right off the top, you mentioned, you know, some people coming out of this show looking like an absolute star. If this was your first exposure to Kazuchika Okada, man, does he feel like a big deal. Because also the United Center crowd reciprocated that response upon the entrance. He got a massive pop. He, he, got, a, he got a crappy entrance, Liam. You didn't I'm like sorry. it? No, I watch New Japan. You want to know when I watch New Japan? For, for Wrestle Kingdom. Kingdom. And mm-hmm. Okada gets intense entrances with the pyros and everything. He just came out in a robe like, like I just woke up and I'm getting my coffee. I'm sorry. I just wanted to feel like it was a big deal. But at the same time, you can't make Okada a bigger deal than Jay White, right? Because Jay White mm-hmm. is the actual IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So I get that point, but I just wanted to see a little bit more finesse onto this entrance because that's what i'm used to if you're like me and you only watch on these particular times you know that these men get intense entrances and this is the second time that you cannot make okada look a little basic compared to the okada that i'm used to even if you never seen him before and you're googling him the images that show up when they when you Mm -hmm. google him he looks larger than life and that is not how he has come off on aw television at all i will say the crowd crowd was great the crowd like hyped him up but it was a basic entrance. I'm sorry. I will say the reason why I enjoyed it is because of the comparison to how he entered the ring on Wednesday's Dynamite in like a t-shirt and jeans and just running out very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And tonight it looks like he forgot the t-shirt and jeans and only had his robe on. <laughs> that is something that I, I didn't realize that was something he had changed until he made his entrance now where the robe he's wearing is a straight up robe with, you know, a, a belt around it and everything. In uh, Wrestle Kingdoms in the past, he's come out with the big jacket on, but also the chains and everything. He does the arms outstretch pose and the Okada bucks rain from the ceiling and all that. And he usually has pyro. So I do agree. It was a watered down entrance compared to New Japan style. But compared to Wednesday, I thought it was 
significantly better. And also, like you said, too, within this match, you don't want to make him feel like a bigger deal than Jay White because Jay White is the champion. And again, one of my biggest pet peeves in wrestling is when the champion doesn't enter last. I'm so, so thankful that they still stick to that with AEW, even for championship matches that aren't titles that they have ownership of. Jay White coming out last. I thought his ring gear was awesome. I loved the red. I loved the title belt. I I just loved his presentation as a whole because you want to talk about a guy who's kind of night and day with his entrance gear. Him coming out in in the the sweats, you know, usually the Bullet Club, like, uh, uh, jumpsuit and everything that he's wearing. I'm like, come on. Like, wear that suit that I've seen you do New Japan press conferences in before. You know, wear the the big gear that you've, you've come out for. This particular red leather jacket, the red pants, uh, the the white like fives and all that, I thought was awesome. Yeah, translation: Jay White looked like a snack. <laughs> he, he is threaded. <laughs> like he like yeah. uh, he reminds me a lot of Finn Balor, not just because of the the leather jacket and being the leader of Bullet Club, but also right. there those two guys must be on the exact same core routine because unbelievable shape uh, yeah, from they consume tra- zero carbs zero carbs guaranteed <laughs> zero carbs and it did translate to a victory this fatal four-way match while it had some high spots one of the biggest low spots was the ending of the match because it looked like adam cole got significantly hurt maybe he was able to walk out on his own two feet which is good news but the cover was very awkward and it looked like he was being set up for a rainmaker that he fell out of that was like the third time the Rainmaker had been ditched, which I appreciate because the Rainmaker, one of the most protected Should not finishers. be kicked out of. If Okada exactly. was not one winning, of, he shouldn't hit it. Yeah. Exactly. One of the most protected finishers. Keep it protected. If it's going to be hit, it needs to be hit for that finality. And if Okada wasn't winning, don't hit the Rainmaker. Sure, it makes sense. But still, Adam Cole kind of falling to the wayside and kind of just lying there on the floor. Jay White getting the victory and even commentary acknowledging the awkward finish to everything kind of let the air out of what otherwise was a really good match. Yeah, this match was fun. The The ending just seemed out of nowhere. But we have heard rumors that Adam Cole is hurt. So he might have wrestled this match injured. I mean, for a little bit there, I didn't even know if he was actually going to wrestle this match and we were going to get baited and switched because I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to to wrestle, right? Based on what we have heard. He got pulled out of a couple of matches after double or nothing because he was supposedly injured. I am I'm not sure what happened here. I did get a little PTSD speaking of other spots in the match. I got PTSD from Hangman Page always putting such banger matches. And it made me think of his title ring because when I think of him as the AW World Champion, all of the matches were bangers. It was the character that never grew, right? And that showed again tonight. There was a couple of spots that I was like, yo, let Hangman Page wins. He's outshining all of these guys in there. It was fun to see how much they interacted. A lot of the times, all four of them were in the in the ring, which I appreciated because, you know, when they do triple threats or fatal four ways, a lot of people go onto the outside and you only see the two guys in the ring. No, there was a lot of all four of them in the ring. I love seeing the friendship or the working together between Adam Cole and um, Jay White just coming to an end pretty early on, which we kind of knew it would happen, but it was fun. Happy to see Jay White retain here because he just won this title. I think it would have been a little unfair for him to drop it right away. Um, But yeah, the ending throwing me off. I'm hoping Adam Cole is okay, or maybe he does need some time off and decided to wrestle this one match before he takes the time to heal. I'm not sure what happened here. I just hope that he's okay. And if he's not, let him take the time that he needs to get better. 
Brian Kish sent in a super chat earlier that I wanted to save until we got to this match asking, was Booker T right about Cole? His lack of size seems more pronounced lately in making him injury prone. Obviously a big spot of controversy in the wrestling news cycles earlier this week or the past couple of days, Booker T mentioning that Adam Cole should have to put on a little bit of size and saying that he wasn't in as good shape as he was in NXT. A lot of people pointing out he has very similar physiques between now and NXT. Um, and you know, it, it's awkward for a guy like Adam Cole because he is just smaller naturally. I, I don't think he's overly like skinny per se, but if you're looking for him to put on size, like someone like Pac, it, it's going to change who he is completely. But at the same time, the years naturally will catch up to you. And Adam Cole being a wrestler with over a decade of experience at this point, I don't know if it's a lack of size thing or more of just, you know, he wrestles at a mile a minute, day in, day out. And the matches he puts on are no five-minute squashes. Like These are 15, 20-minute, you know, high-octane bouts. It's eventually going to, you know, the, the, the injuries won't necessarily be one defiant thing. There'll be a bunch of minor things that just require you to take time off of, just kind of like right. what happened with Kenny Omega at the end of last year. Right. I mean, Adam Cole carried NXT on his shoulders for a long, long time. I don't see a big size difference in the NXT Adam Cole and the AEW Adam Cole. I I, I, I can understand that some of Booker T's words kind of like got taken out of context. I, mm-hmm. I actually, we spoke about this on the NXT podcast where I was sharing with Alfred. I feel like so many people have been just nitpicking on Adam Cole's physique that I feel like um, Booker T was just a scapegoat at this time because everybody's just sick and tired of hearing about Adam Cole gaining weight or not being big enough. I will tell you one thing. There was one spot in the match where he's flexing right next to Jay White and I was like, no, bro, that's not it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not gonna body shame you, but do not try to flex right next to Jay White, who's just standing there not flexing and looks absolutely ripped. Like, I was like, this is not gonna help your case. Walk away right now. <laughs> Yeah, by, side by side to Jay White, who's literally chiseled out of granite. Adam Cole might look a little different by comparison. I but... think I think everybody in this match, like right next to Jay White, you know, even guys that you might think are in good shape did not look in shape just compared to Jay White. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to get a better physique than Jay White on this card. I think he very much showed out uh, by comparison. But Jay White obviously retaining in this match i do agree that it's too soon to take the title off him and also the iwgp world title not that you know i'm not going to pretend that i watch new japan every single week or or keep up with it on the daily but i do kind of know my spark notes and i remember that this title was a very protected championship for a very long time and it still is like when guys come out for an iwgp world title defense at least on new japan shows they always list all the former champions. They show us Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles, Naito, Okada, and all that. It makes it feel big when you realize the trajectories that some of these guys have gone on after holding this title. And beyond that, too, the reigns are usually very significant. Okada, when he was eventually beat by Omega, ended like a 700-something-plus-day yeah. reign. It was a massive moment. And then, obviously, Omega's reign was stopped short because AEW was started. And then Jay White held the title very briefly, and then he dropped it to Okada. And then Will Ospreay got the championship, but then the pandemic happened, and he got hurt and had to vacate it. The World Heavyweight title for New Japan, for the longest time, I feel like, at least the past couple of years, it's been missing that significant reign that makes it the most prestigious title in wrestling. You know, at the height of Okada's reign, there was no championship in pro wrestling more valued than that title. 
And then the hot potato nature yeah. of it recently, I feel like has kind of devalued it. I think Jay White is a guy that you can look to to have a year plus reign and eventually far down the line have someone take it off him. Yeah, I agree with you, which is why as much as I really would, I thought it would have been cool to see Okada win a match in AW television. I almost wish they would have booked him in a different match just so he could get a win since, you know, this was the first time we're seeing him in AW TV. But I didn't want uh, JY to drop the title. It just would not seem fair. And I see a comment in the chat by Aaron saying Darby Allen and Orange are not big guys and nobody has problems with their ways. While I agree with you, the reason why I freak out every time Darby Allen takes a spot is because he is a smaller guy. So I do, I think, I do think people look at it that way as well. Cause every time I see that man take a spot, I think he's going to break in half. Yeah. Darby Allen is another one too, that I feel like the only reason why I'm holding out hope that he's going to have a long career is because he's basically the, the modern Jeff Hardy and Jeff Hardy has somehow, you know, wrestled 20 plus years at the same style. Now the injuries are starting to kind of catch up to him, but Darby Allen is someone I definitely wince at a lot, especially in this current, you know, climate of pro wrestling. This entire show, anytime right. someone made the wrong facial expression, I was like, up oh, there we go. This show is cursed. There's another guy who's going to be out for a couple months. Hopefully, you know, we'll check the injury report uh, with our friends at Wrestling Inc. after the fact. But, you know, hopefully right. everyone made it out of this pay-per-view unscathed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We move on to the main event where we did have some blood. And I don't know if that was because of natural causes or because our new oh, AEW interim world Moxley champion. Moxley has to bleed every time. He's as guaranteed as the women being on at 930. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just has to bleed in big matches. He loves the crimson mask. And he walked away with the AEW interim world championship. I don't know how they're going to recognize this reign because it is an interim reign. But, you know, if we're I calling this the official... Is he a two-time champ or no? Yeah. Is he a two-time champion? If he does, you know, I don't expect him to beat CM Punk when Punk comes back. But in a world that he beats CM Punk, is that the day his reign starts? Or do they add on the days he was holding the title before? Where they go with defining this title reign moving forward remains to be seen. We do know that John Moxley is the guy being trusted to main event and kind of carry AEW on his shoulders while CM Punk is out. Hiroshi Tanahashi obviously putting on uh, a big match with him going 20 plus minutes in the main event. Isa, how did you feel about this main event match after 12 matches of action? Did this one, did you feel exhausted by it or did you kind of revamp the energy? Uh, I, I, it was not on my top three favorite matches of the night. There was a big predictability factor going into this match. I did think that Tanahashi looked better in the ring tonight than he did at Wednesday. I didn't like him in the ring necessarily on Dynamite, but I thought he looked better tonight. Um, and, you know, learning a lot more about his legacy, I can see why Moxley really put over how badly he wanted to wrestle him. Uh, there was also some kind of event going on in the crowd that took the crowd out of it which also took me out of it because i really wanted to know what the crowd was looking at and chanting at which ended up somebody got arrested supposedly in the crowd um yeah it, it wasn't one of my favorite matches on the card it doesn't make it a bad match that's the thing i don't think there was a bad match tonight so if you're gonna rank them from least favorite to top favorite i feel like this falls in the middle of the pack for me i i kind of feel like moxley was gonna be the champion since they made him the number one contender so it was just a matter of, let's enjoy the match. Did it hype me up? No. 
I think it could have been placed differently in the car, but it is the entering world champion, and I can see why it must main event. I'm very happy for Max because the majority of Max's title reign was during the pandemic. So I do want to see him hold the belt with a crowd, and I think there's going to be some really, really fun matches. And we kind of skipped a major match, by the way, just throwing yes, that it, out there. Yeah, I was realizing it as we were saying it. I was like, I feel like there's a big talking point that we just kind of glossed over. And we'll get to that in a second. I do want to kind of get my thoughts on, on Moxley defeating Tanahashi. And I agree. I want to see Moxley in front of crowds with this world title because he wanted a revolution, which was, I believe, March 2nd, 2020. He might have had one singular dynamite as world champion before his yeah. entire reign was in front of no fans. So Here's hoping we get at least a good couple of weeks out of him as champion. And also, too, I think it really elevates the Blackpool Combat Club because there's so many different factions oh, in AEW, obviously. They, up, they upgraded tonight. <laughs> they very much did upgrade. They have a world champion, and they also have a new member. That new member being the one that everyone kind of expected to take Brian Danielson's place in the Zack Sabre Jr. match, that being Claudio Cassignoli, the former Cesaro from WWE making his long-awaited AEW debut. This was such a monster pop. He was so over with the crowd. It kind of, at some point during the match in the later stages, had this weird pace shift, I feel. It was so fast for the first, you know, 60% of it. Yeah. And then towards the end, we got more technical, but also slowed it down. There was more breaks and everything. Either way, I really cannot complain because this was such a big moment. And as much as people are complaining on Twitter, as I knew it was going to happen, the first reply to every, you know, WWE star, Xavier Woods saying, let's go. And, and Becky Lynch saying so proud of like Claudio and all that. The first reply was always give it two weeks until he's, you know, somewhere in the mid card forgotten about. And the reason why I push back on that is because he's in the Blackpool Combat Club. Like, by comparison to a Keith Lee who has been kind of put into this tag team with Swerve Strickland just to kind of get them both TV time and an excuse to have a, a pairing of guys put together, Claudio being immediately put into a faction who now has the world champion in it and is going to be in the main event match of next week's Dynamite, I think puts him in a spot for immediate success. Yeah, I love this moment. I thought the way that they... um edited the moment uh, it felt very it reminded me of when AJ Styles debuted at the Rumble where you heard the crowd pop and you can't see the graphics to know who's coming out and you're just desperate because you know it's a big deal um it, if you remember they took a second to go from the crowd to show exactly who it was and I just absolutely love how anxious I got in like I think it took like three seconds but I was still like just show it already he looked great I love that he went up to the masked cameraman to put out the <laughs> rumors that that was him. I kind of popped for that. I thought he looked incredible. I really want to give a special shout out to Zack Sabre Jr. I was on YouTube last night watching some of his matches because I was really looking forward to this. Uh, I love that they didn't oversell this moment, right? Like there was no Tony Khan. Like Tony Khan said we were going to get a great moment and we did, but it wasn't like a big announcement or this or that. They just let it organically happen. Zack Sabre Jr. wrestled like he was ready for Claudio, even though he wasn't, and I appreciated that. He did a lot of things to avoid the swing. He kept attacking the arm that Claudio was kind of selling. Like, there was a lot of really, really smart play by somebody 
who wasn't expecting this opponent kind of I don't want to compare these matches, but it took me to Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes to where you don't know who you're getting, but you're still going to try to win this match or, or do your best, right? And there was a couple of spots there in which I did feel like Zack Sabre Jr. could have won this match. I feel like they've been putting Claudio over since, <laughs> since like Brian came out and announced he was going to come out with a replacement um, because it's a big deal to replace um, Brian. And I don't, I at no point I miss Brian after seeing um, Claudio being the one out here. Yeah, I definitely, I missed Brian Danielson not being on the show, especially because of the fact that him being, uh, working New Japan matches was such a big selling point for this next stage of his career. If you remember, he confirmed in an interview that if he was going to re-sign with WWE when his contract was up, something that they were going to work in was going to allow him to go to New Japan and I believe work in the G1 Climax specifically. He wanted to be in that tournament specifically. Right which would have been unprecedented for, for a contracted WWE superstar to go and work for New Japan. So I know that working with New Japan is a long time coming for Brian Danielson. Unfortunately, it's going to be delayed at least a couple of weeks, maybe months, depending on what this injury is and how long he's going to be out for. But still, this was you know really making the most out of a poor situation. Uh, it, the rumors about Brian Danielson being hurt only started, I feel like, a day or two before he announced it on dynamite and immediately we kind of put those fears to rest with the promo he cut building up who his replacement was the moment of that replacement this match kind of being one of the most anticipated matches on the card because yeah. of the anticipation of it likely being claudio and him coming out the presentation i thought was great and especially the way he worked this match i think very much sets him up for success to be in the blackpool combat club because of his style like this is a guy that you're not forcing into this faction Blackpool Combat Club is one of the only factions in AEW where I feel like they're all cut from a similar cloth and you can't just put yeah. any old person into this faction. Cesaro, Claudio, he meshes well with these guys. I personally, I'm already booking him to break up with him just so we get a feud with him and Mox. <laughs> that, that, that's a match we got to see someday. And that actually did end up closing the show after the Moxley oh, Tanahashi match, I hated match, this. We I got another beatdown just for Claudio's music to hit once again. The BCC standing strong with the Jericho Appreciation Society standing on the ramp. It felt very odd to me, Issa, and the reason why I'm going to say this is because this was clearly a closing shot to build up blood and guts. And this felt yeah. so opposite to me because usually you yeah. close an episode of TV with the match that's going to be on pay-per-view. Never have I seen a pay-per-view close building up the main event of your next TV show. Kind of crazy. Yeah, but that's the reason. That's the reason why you mentioned it earlier. Where um, Forbidden Door sometimes felt like an obstacle is because they've been building for uh, Blood and Guts almost more than they built Forbidden Door, and they haven't forgotten about it. While I respect that, I wish it would have ended with the show respect with Tanahashi and Mox and, and kind of get Mox, you know, lifting his title in the air. I didn't like it. I didn't like this ending. There's no need to promote blood and guts unless you have somebody else coming. I don't know, NJF or Omega. It would have been nice to see an appearance from them. But I didn't I didn't need this. We know blood and guts is happening next week. You have plenty of shots at promoting blood and guts during the opening match because half of the people that are going to be in blood and guts were there. The, the stipulation was winner gets an advantage of blood and guts. I didn't, I didn't need the pay-per-view to end this way. Um, and uh, again, I'm nitpicking a lot of the negatives that I thrown out there tonight. I just really nitpicks because I really enjoy Forbidden Door, but I, I didn't need this. I didn't. 
Mm-hmm. From, a, from a pure wrestling standpoint, I thought this show was an absolute home run. Yeah. The theatrics before and after the bell and the theatrics basically always being exclusively beatdowns and, and guys running out from the crowd and front running out from the entranceway, I thought was overdone. And it did kind of leave me with a sour taste in my mouth with how we ended this show, especially because I was so bothered by the, the post-match beatdowns. After the Osprey match, I'm like, why are we recycling this once? Too again? many, and they did, and they did nothing but that on Wednesday and Friday. So to see it carry on to the pay per view is just too much. It was odd. It was odd for sure, but still, I think Forbidden Door, considering all the obstacles they had leading up so to this good. match, was a success. I think this was very much a prove it show for both AEW yeah. and New Japan. And like we said earlier, if this was your first time seeing Will Ospreay, first time seeing Okada, Tanahashi, Jay White, any of these guys you're not familiar with wrestle and you walked away as a fan, I think that's uh, a measure of success. Was this the best yeah. idea for AEW financially, viewership-wise on TV leading up? Business-wise, I, I don't think it, it made a lot of sense. Dynamite's viewership has dipped. Rampage hasn't been very strong lately. And I think that's because a lot of casual fans don't feel like they need to watch weekly TV leading up to this show because they feel right. so confused and not the fans seem to be spoon fed, but especially when there's so much new information being thrown at you at once, it's hard to digest it all. So I think yes. from that sense, forbidden door was not what we, not what everyone universally wanted. But again, if you're going to walk away from this show, making new fans of certain wrestlers, making new fans of certain promotions, I would chalk that up as success. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree 100%. And like I said earlier, it felt like a lot of people came out with a chip on their shoulders to prove that even without their strong players being part of the show, they weren't going to put a disappointing show. Delivered and compared a little bit to Double or Nothing being so recent in my mind since it just happened. And I said, I felt Double or Nothing had a lot of low moments or a lot of moments in which I felt bored watching it. I was not bored for one second tonight. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to be because, you know, they kept your attention the whole time. 13 matches on the card, even the show going when you include the pre-show close to five hours. When you divide up the time, I thought the pacing of the show, it had had its highs and lows. But overall, I thought this was a successful show. And here's hoping we do get more Forbidden Door in the future. And hopefully, like I said, we smooth out some of the edges. I think this could be a really solid installment in the future of both AEW and New Japan. But that is just gonna about, just going to about do it for this Wrestling Inc. podcast myself. And Isa, Isa, we can find you on socials at NYC Demon Diva, the Diva spelt with a one instead of the I. Anything fun you got coming up this week for your wrestling coverage? Uh, I'm doing wash alongs on my channel, so go find me on YouTube, NYC Demon Diva, if you want to have some fun and watch some wrestling with me. Awesome. I, I apologize for the stumbling at the end. I had my coffee at the beginning of the buy-in, so I think it's starting to wear off now. Oh, mine too. Mine too. <laughs> 1, 1 a.m. on the East Coast. It's just about bedtime for me. But I just want to say, you can find me on socials at Liam T. Crowley. For anyone who has followed me uh, from the Wrestling Inc. podcasts, you know I made a little bit of an announcement on my Twitter earlier today. Uh, I am moving on to a different outlet. You'll know about that very, very soon. Um, but I did want to just extend my gratitude to the entire Wrestling Inc. team. Uh, it's been very, very special being a part of this crew uh, for about a year and a half now. I've only been doing these podcasts for the past six months, uh, but I've made some really good friends along the way. Issa, Jimmy, Justin, uh, the list goes on and on. Jack Farmer, um, so many other people I could name that are just hard to come up with off the top of my head. It's late, guys. But again, thank you so much for welcoming, welcoming no, me. Thank you, the Liam. Family. You were in 
incredible. Just want you to know that. I think you're amazing. You're one of my favorite people to um, speak wrestling with, and I think you're going to be incredible wherever you go. I appreciate it, Lisa. Thank you so much. Maybe uh, New York City, uh, freaking Grand Slam. In Grand September. Slam. You know that we were both there last time and we didn't meet. Yeah, Explain I know. I was me. I was sitting with John Ross App and he had mentioned that he was going to to see you. And it was before we had done podcasts together. So we didn't yeah, know yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah. But either way, I'm sure if I am in New York City for Grand Slam, we'll we'll, we'll get a picture for socials. We'll We'll do a little reunion. We'll do a TikTok together. Yes, yes, that's what the people want. Well, anyways, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to our Forbidden Door After Show. We'll see you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.